back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. My name is Craig Johnson. This week, we're going to be talking about the continued ongoing implosion on the right wing in the wake of Trump's loss and the January 6th coup attempt, the sort of Hunger Games purge situation going on in the state of Texas, the death of Rush Limbaugh, and an important Argentine fascist's death. The latest news coming out of the right wing in the United States is about an implosion, essentially, um, on both the center and the extreme wings of the right wing in the United States. There's a lot of shaking up, jostling going on uh, after Trump's loss in November of last year and after the failed coup attempt uh, earlier this year on January 6th. Uh, on the farther wings of the right wing, we have a major sort of like snitch hunt going on. Uh, there are a lot of people on the extreme right wing that have been working with the federal government, or at least have a history of working with the federal government. Uh, I've covered some of those in, in previous episodes. And Dario, the 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 uh, official leader of the Proud Boys, is one such example. Uh, but we have an additional example. Now, as it turns out, the leader of the Proud Boys, uh, Ronaldo Nizarro, um, who is currently uh, holed up in Russia. Uh, turns out to have uh, worked for the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, he actually worked for them as an anti-terrorism intelligence operative, uh, which is particularly disturbing for somebody who understands the base as the, you know, sort of the most advanced, like, terrorist paramilitary organization that the United States has seen in quite a while. You know, they've been uh, plotting assassination attempts, mass shootings, uh, trying to manufacture untraceable guns, that sort of thing. Um, but for the far right in general, this is also disturbing because, you know, he he's worked for the federal government and not just for the federal government in anti-terrorism intelligence operations. So all of this makes him look like a plant, right? Um, this is exactly what's happening on the Proud Boys as well. It's very interesting to see this, you know, sort of shaking out, reverberating throughout all the parts of the extreme right. Uh, we have it happening in the, you know, fascistic mass organization, the Proud Boys, uh, some like very small militia paramilitary organizations like the base. And it's even happening across the sort of infosphere, the, the, you know, the, the, the echo chamber of the extreme right wing. Um, there is a feud going on between Nick Fuentes and Casey, um, uh, who are sort of competing right wing streamers, you know, YouTube streamers and, and news personalities. Uh, Casey led Identity Europa, which then later rebranded as the American Identity Movement. Nick Fuentes um, is the leader of the Groiper Movement, uh, as they call themselves, which is a sort of like metastasization of the Pepe the Frog meme. Um, these people were very influential in leading the charge to storm the Capitol in January 6th, whether they were present there physically or not. Um, they were also present in all of the other right wing manifestations and, and, um, demonstrations that we've seen in the last several months. On that note, um, to continue our discussion of the extreme right in the United States, uh, next week we have the America First PAC, um, which is a sort of far-right answer to CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee meeting. Um, that is a unifying event for the right wing, the moderate wings of the right wing party in the United States. Um, the America First PAC, the AF PAC, is going to be held next week in Orlando. Uh, last time, last year, the first time that they held it, uh, there were only a couple hundred attendees, maybe 100. Uh, we're going to see how big it is this time. Obviously, there's a pandemic happening right now. 
Um, but also it, it's in Florida and they're the right wing. They might just not care. Taking that opportunity to transition to talking about the conflicts on the sort of center, more moderate wings of the right wing in the United States, we have the continuing feud between the Trump wings of the Republican Party and the sort of more moderate Romney style wings. Uh, Trump has ended one of his longest silences um, in the last several years. You know, it, it, it's not normal that he takes a whole day without making the news or, you know, making some sort of statement that people uh, get riled up over. This is partly because of his ban from Facebook and Twitter. Uh, but he's made the news recently by calling out Mitch McConnell uh, for facilitating the trial process uh, that he uh, saw last week. Of course, it's not even really news that he was acquitted. Obviously, we all, we all knew that that was going to happen. The interesting thing, however, is that seven GOP senators did vote against him. Uh, so a majority of the senators thought that he should be prevented from ever holding federal office in the United States ever again, uh, that, that he was guilty of insurrection, uh, which is that is actually kind of singular. Of course, what this means is that Trump is trying to rally the remainder of his support within the Republican Party, which is substantial um, around uh, organizing primary challenges for these senators uh, and also for the members of the House of Representatives who supported bringing him to trial in the first place. Um, a lot of these people already have declared primary challengers or like obvious frontrunners. Um, some of them are members of Trump's political family uh, and other ones are allies of his. Uh, so we're going to see that shake out as we enter the electoral season for the midterms in 2022 uh, and into 24 and 26. We also have this week a series of extremely devastating winter storms that, you know, are getting covered in the actual media. Uh, the important here, the important thing here for studying the right wing and for paying attention to it is that we have the, like the full realization of the neoliberal impulse on the right wing in the United States. Uh, actual elected officials saying, hey, fend for yourself. Um, you know, literally saying things like the strong do what they will and the weak suffer what they must. Uh, one of these uh, examples is the former mayor of Colorado City, Texas, who basically just said like, hey, if you die because of this storm, then you deserve to die because you're weak and you can't provide for yourself and your family. Um, he resigned for saying that. Um, honestly, I think that that was probably a political mistake on his part. Uh, if the Trump impulse, uh, if the Trump aesthetic within the right wing movement in the United States has told us anything, is that you can kind of you could probably just get away with that. You know, you could just say it and a lot of people will believe it and you might be able to you might just be able to weather that particular storm. Uh, hilariously enough, we also have similar rhetoric rhetoric coming from former Texas governor Rick Perry, uh, who was one of the challengers for the 2016 Republican nomination. And hilariously, Trump's energy secretary, if you remember that, uh, this was doubly hilarious because Rick Perry ran on the platform of eliminating some of the um, standard cabinet departments, one of which was the Department of Energy. Getting to some positive news about the right wing this week, Rush Limbaugh died. Uh, Rush Limbaugh was the extremely successful and longtime uh, runner of a series of shows, radio shows, television shows uh, in the United States from the 70s until the present, up, up until this year, effectively. Um, 
His most famous shows, The Rush Limbaugh Show, uh, was syndicated on AM stations throughout the United States, making it extremely easy to listen to. Uh, he had a vast listenership, uh, was the author of several successful books, um, and was sort of, you know, buoyed and then, you know, had some problems depending on whether a Democrat or a Republican was in office. He was especially known for his incendiary rhetoric and, you know, quote, anti-PC perspective. Uh, he would regularly have, you know, supposed scandals or gaffes by, by saying something truly disgusting. You know, a, a lot of the things that he would say on air are just just not fit for being repeated, um, especially given that the you know, what people say on the radio waves is actually very closely regulated in the United States by the FCC. Uh, he spent a lot of his early career getting fired uh, for saying horrible, horrible shit, um, either racist or misogynist or uh, anti-LGBTQ, um, but he would get hired and hired again and again, uh, ultimately landing in a very prominent position, uh, first at a radio station in Sacramento, and then finally his, you know, his, his real launching pad uh, was a radio station in upstate New York. Now, this pattern of him saying something inexcusable and getting people to repeat it and, you know, just repeating propagandistic phrases over and over again and celebrating his listeners for repeating after him. You know, he, he called his listeners, quote, ditto heads. Um, this is a template uh, for the aesthetic and rhetoric of Donald Trump or somebody like Donald Trump. You know, Limbaugh really paved the way for a lot of this kind of shit. Uh, he is the shock jock radio host on the right wing. Um, he was an essential part of the rise of the right wing in the 1990s in the United States, and in particular, its radicalization uh, along the lines of racism and anti-feminism uh, that we are seeing really coming, you know, coming into their own and taking over the party fully uh, and consciously today uh, in the wake of Donald Trump's presidency and indeed his loss. Um, Limbaugh died this week of lung cancer uh, after being a lifelong proponent of smoking and defender of uh, major tobacco companies. And I'll close out this week with our weekly segment, uh, See You in Hell, uh, which celebrates the deaths of prominent fascists and members of the right wing in history. This week, we are going to Argentina to talk about a famous literary figure named Leopoldo Lugones. Lugones is an extremely important figure in the history of Argentine and you know, Spanish language literature. His writings today would probably be classified potentially either as magical realist or as science fiction. Uh, but when he was writing them back in the early 20th century, you know, we're talking 1900 to 1930, uh, he was a member of a literary school that was understood to be uh, French and modern and you know, imaginative and creative. Uh, he's a perfect example of a public intellectual. He was a prominent journalist uh, for major newspapers, both in Buenos Aires and in other major cities in Argentina, uh, but was also a poet uh, and a popular scholar, you know, a professor. He taught at, at universities at various times. Uh, he also ran the National Library, you know, making him like an, an actually important and powerful figure in the literary world. Uh, he also was a very openly political man uh, throughout much of his life. He began his life, uh, as many young intellectual dilettantes do, uh, case in point, uh, as a socialist. Uh, however, as he aged, he transitioned into a more you know, conservative nationalist perspective. And finally, in his elderly years in the 1930s, uh, became an open supporter of fascism. 
Now, if you recall from some of the other CU and Health segments that I've included in this podcast, this should not surprise you. The idea that an intellectual dilettante uh, of his particular kind, or even that a professional intellectual or a state clerk, like somebody who runs or works for the National Library System, would be enamored of socialism and then fascism throughout the early 1900s into the 1930s should not be a surprise to you at all. Uh, Lugones was very interested in the rise of fascism in Italy and was a proponent of it in Argentina, to the point that in 1930, when Argentina saw its first, you know, modern 20th century coup uh, against a democratically elected leader, uh, which installed the then general uh, Uriburu as the president of Argentina, uh, Lugones was, was a major supporter of this coup attempt and sort of wanted it to be even more fascistic than it was. Um, ultimately, this dictatorship was sort of more nationalist as opposed to fascist uh, per se, um, but it did begin something that in Argentina is known as the Decada Infame, or the infamous decade, uh, a decade that, you know, stretches from uh, 1930 uh, into the mid-40s, uh, when a, another military coup installs a much more fascistic military government um, that ultimately results in the government of Juan Perón. Um, but the infamous decade is a series of, you know, right-wing, or at least predominantly right-wing governments, either civilian or military, uh, that really shore up Argentina's position as a, you know, as a proponent of right-wing politics in Latin America, uh, that shore up the power of the right-wing in that country, and also that lead Argentina to be one of the only countries in the Americas that really seriously considered supporting the Axis in World War II. Argentina was kind of close to declaring for the Axis powers. And Lugones was an important uh, popular proponent of this kind of politics, to the point that his son, in fact, uh, was the police chief of Buenos Aires under this dictator, Uruburu. Um, and his son is even said to have uh, invented the picada, uh, which is an electrical torture device uh, that has been used ever since in Argentina and throughout Latin America to torture people without leaving, you know, obvious marks on people's bodies. This device was ultimately used to torture Lugones' own granddaughter uh, during the most recent Argentine dictatorship from the 1970s to the 1980s. Now, Lugones himself, of course, did not live to see any of this. Uh, by the mid to late 1930s, he had be been disaffected, you know, with the, the, the wrangling on the right uh, in Argentina with the failures of the Uriburu government to, to live up to its promises. Uh, and he was also going through a very serious and for him, uh, very troubling failure of a romantic relationship with a student. And so he committed suicide uh, by ingesting cyanide this week in history on the 18th of February, 1938. So Leopoldo Lugones, we'll see you in hell. Right, that was this week's 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson. I'd like to thank Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. And also just note that if you are enjoying the podcast, if you think that it's useful, uh, please share it with friends, family, and comrades. And I'll talk to you next week. Bye.